Hello, and welcome to the Movie Mouth Film and TV Podcast. We are back in our new fortnightly format. Just so that we have more time to hone our podcast skills, watch more shows and movies, research more, and generally procrastinate for two weeks until exactly one hour before we press record in the virtual pod booth. On this week's show, we will have three new releases for review, starting at the end, or is it the beginning, with Christopher Nolan's time-bending new blockbuster, Tenet, Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter returning as Bill S. Preston Esquire and Ted Theodore Logan in Bill and Ted Face the Music, as well as HBO's new period horror show, Lovecraft Country, produced by Get Out and Us genius, Jordan Peele. Alongside these, we'll be discussing the latest film news, listener questions, trailer breakdowns, and often forgotten Dean Devlin and Roland Emmerich 90s romp in our recurring video store corner section. No, it isn't Independence Day, by the way. This is your co-host, Miles. And as ever, I'm joined by a man. You know what he looks like to me? With his good bag and his cheap shoes, he looks like a rube. A well-scrubbed hustling rube with a little taste. Good nutrition's given him some length of bone, but he's not more than one generation from poor white trash, are you, Agent Steer? And that accent you've tried so desperately to shed, pure West Virginia. What is your father, dear? Is he a coal miner? Does he stink of the lamp? You know how quickly the boys found you. All those tedious, sticky fumblings in the back seats of cars. While you could only dream of getting out, getting anywhere, getting all the way to the FBI. Quid pro quo, Philip. Do you still hear the lamb screaming? It's Phil. <laughs> Hello, Miles. Hi, Phil. How are you? Did you even make it Phil, I'm not, I'm, I, I don't know if there's a problem with the podcast software, but you seem to be speaking in tongues. I, I, mean. I, I don't quite understand you, but I feel like what I should do is is just try not to understand it and just live it. I guess you just said yes, but I, I still don't understand. Yeah, that's, that's, exactly, that's exactly what I said, yeah. What? Uh, what? Hang on. Now I understand you. What's, ha what's happening? <laughs> Hello. Hello. Are you, Hi. are you with me now? I think. Am I all right? I am. I, I don't know who fixed that, but I would just like to say thank you, Sir Michael. Um, <laughs> that's a little tenet in joke right there for those of you paying attention. How are you, Phil? What have you been up to? What's going on? I'm all right. Thanks. Yeah, I'm all good. Um, uh, what's going on? Well, <laughs> we're recording a podcast. Ah, yes. Yes, I just noticed that. Good one, isn't it? Very. Very. What have you been watching this week? Uh, well, this week I've watched, I finished uh, season two of Happy on Netflix, which I've been watching the last sort of two or three weeks. Did it make you feel happier? Well, no, because, <laughs> <laughs> because I've learned that they're not, no one's picked it up for season three. They cancelled it. 
and I'm devastated. So you're unhappy after happy. I've absolutely loved season one and two. It's been hilarious. Mm. Just ridiculous uh, couple of seasons. Absolutely loved it. And then I was like, brilliant. I wonder when they're going to do season three. It might have been on hold because mm. of the pandemic and everything. And then they're saying it might not even happen because well, I think it was sci-fi that had it originally. They dropped it. So I'm hoping Netflix pick it up. Wow. That's really that's really bad. I've had a lot of people recommend that to me. So hmm. you should definitely watch it. But I'm glad you finished it. Are you watching much else or is it all review, review, uh, review? No, mainly. Oh, no, I did watch um film that was on during the week, Molly's Game, uh, ah, starring yes. Jessica, Jessica Chastain. Chastain. That's it, yeah. And Edris Elba. Big Driss. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, doing a relatively dodgy American accent in this. I don't so think his American accent's that great. I don't think it is. I mean, I love Elba. I think mm. he's brilliant. Mm, me I too. I don't know if he's American. I mean, he's better than my American accent. Yeah. But uh, if I tried. Give us a go. Going to. Let's have a go. Uh, no. Aaron Sorkin. <laughs> that was directed by Aaron Sorkin, that movie. I, I am a huge Sorkin fan. And obviously he wrote that. Does at any point, does Idris Elba say, we are cancelling the apocalypse? <laughs> no, and what, and climb into a giant robot and then go and kick a lizard's ass? No, he doesn't. Oh. Um, but he, yeah, it's good. It's so, for people that don't know, it's about Molly Bloom, um, who was an Olympic skier. Or Olympic class gear. I don't think she actually went to the Olympics, but she ran the world's most um, exclusive high stakes poker games. Uh, and she broke the law and she got in a lot of trouble. And then she became um, an FBI target. I know we're talking about you, but can I talk about myself for a second as per if usual? You like, yeah. Thanks. Go on, then. You always um, do this. Switch, switch it out. <laughs> so I broke my arm a few years ago. And oh, I, I had a, <laughs> thanks. And I was, I was getting my physiotherapy off this very nice um, Russian physiotherapist. He was a really nice guy. And we would talk endlessly about movies, about TV, about books, everything. Anyway, he recommended that I watch Molly's Game. And I watched it and then came back and, and, and he started telling me this story about it. And apparently he knew uh, or knows um, many of the, the the kind of Russian high stakes poker games that that used to take place down in Brighton Beach in Brooklyn, where mm. uh, Molly would actually go and like kind of go along, and apparently she's she was the the real deal. Um, right. But yeah, it was it was quite funny. <laughs> I was quite scared of this guy to be honest. As he was... <laughs> well, that he knew all the mafia yeah. played poker, and he knew yeah, every, he knew like... everything. You but... sure he was fixing your arm? He wasn't like breaking. Well, I didn't so... I didn't say how I broke it in the first place. Needless to say, it was because I went to a high-stakes poker game. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. But no, good movie. Good good movie. I liked I, it. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I was tucking into... Now, I, I mentioned last week that I'm back in Europe, and, and, and obviously I'm catching up on a lot of things that I've missed out on over in the US. Mm. Top Gear. The last two series of Top Gear with the new hosts. Oh. So gone are Chris Evans, um, not Captain America, but uh, ye of uh, ginger-haired fame. Um, and Matt LeBlanc of Friends fame, they are gone, and they've been replaced by Freddie Flintoff, Paddy McGuinness, and Chris Harris, who was a mainstay, actually, from that show. Um, yeah. Really bloody good. Really good. I've not really watched any of the newer Really the good. Stuff. The band sort of gave up there. when LeBlanc and Evan started doing it again. Yeah, me too. Me too. I, 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 to be honest, I got a bit pissed off with Top Gear when before even Clarkson and May and Hammond went 
Yeah, the format bit, like, got a little bit too scripted, didn't it? A little bit too yeah, like, obvious. We, it got too insane. Yeah, for my liking. But I, re- I don't know. I really like this. There was a, there was a scene in one of the episodes where Freddie Flintoff um, sits in a small car, um, some kind of Vauxhall car, Vauxhall Nova, maybe something like that. And he is he, he sits in this car, gets winched over the biggest dam in the world, and then he <laughs> proceeds to drive off of this crane. And bungee jump inside the car, so the car is basically on a bungee. <laughs> right, so they haven't got rid of the insanity. <laughs> no, but honestly, it was one of the freakiest things I've ever seen. I was watching it on a laptop in bed, and I genuinely felt like sweaty, sick for a moment. There, I, I thought I was having a heart attack. <laughs> honestly, it was re- it was really disturbing. Anyway, I kind of caught up on that. That was cool. And then I'm a big uh, football fan, um, so Amazon's new documentary, All or Nothing, Tottenham Hotspur. I watched the first three parts of that. Obviously, I'm a big Spurs fan, so that was mm-hmm. that was good to watch and just really good to see Jose Mourinho. Sorry, Jose Mourinho. My name is not Jose. I'm Jose. Um, uh, uh, tell the team, the Tottenham Hotspur team, that they are too nice, and they you're gonna you're gonna bleep me out when I say this, right? I'm gonna have to mm. be bleep. You have to no. be a bunch of. <laughs> you are too nice. You have to be absolute bastards. I want you to, to be <laughs> honestly, man. It's fucking insane. Um, so yeah, that, that and that was pretty cool. So I'm going to watch the next three when they come out on Monday. So yeah, pretty good, pretty good. Let's jump in uh, to this week's listener question. This comes from friend of the show Chris in Brighton, UK, not Brighton Beach, where the high stakes poker games were taking place. No, uh, no, no, no. Hi, Phil and Miles. On a previous show, you mentioned that the pulse rifles used by the Colonial Marines in James Cameron's Aliens were your favorite gun sound effect. On this point, I'm interested to know what are your favorite sound effects from movies over the years? Mine has to be hearing the seismic charge from Star Wars Attack of the Clones in cinemas when the film was released. What the bloody hell was a seismic charge from Star Wars Attack of the Clones, Phil? Any idea? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because believe it or not, I have some sound files uh, for you. I have the dead files. So I'm going to play you a clip now of the seismic charge in Attack of the Clones. And I, I'd forgotten about it when he mentioned it. And I was like, what? But then when I saw the clip, I was like, oh, yeah, that was really cool. So here's a, here's a clip of the seismic charge okay. going off in Attack of the Clones. Seismic charges. Stand by. I mean, that's pretty meaty, isn't it? That's I mean, cool. what you don't get in that sound clip is the fact that there's an awesome, like the, the explosion happens on screen first and there's a really good silent pause before that huge explosion yeah, happens. Yeah, 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 yeah. The kind of delay. Yeah. As the and, yeah, explosion that's a good noise. And reaches think, the limit of the speed of sound. Yeah. Oh, yeah. If you want to get all scientific. <laughs> <laughs> but that is a good one. That is a good one. Um, I mean, Star Wars me... through the years has just, I mean, it's like the textbook for great sound effects, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I've got a couple to play from Star Wars. If you want some more, go ahead. Let's hear them. Here's a, here's a classic that is, it's got to be one of the most iconic sounds from film of all time. <laughs>
I mean, it doesn't get more iconic than that, does it? I love that. And then, of course, on in the Star Wars universe, you can't talk about Star Wars and sound effects without the one that everyone does, mm-hmm. even with their mouth when they see this item on screen. Mm-hmm. For those who um, didn't see that, we're actually having a lightsaber duel right now in the uh, in the virtual podcast booth. I actually lost a hand in that, <laughs> <laughs> but it self sealed itself because it was with the oh, laser. It's so satisfying, that isn't it? Yeah, I like it when that happens. Um, have you got? Do you want to give me some others? Well, you like? Yeah, I mean, like for me, uh, I got a few. Most of them are from the eighties or early nineties. Proton packs powering up in Ghostbusters. Yes, I can help you with that. Ah! Ah! (laughs) What the hell are you doing? Uh, love that sound effect. Um, yeah. What about the what about the DeLorean time machine as it's kind of powering up and driving around? Love that. Yeah, I can help you with that. I mean, I think there's actually some time traveling involved in that. Blimey. As well. Yeah, yeah. I No, that's awesome. And, and actually, uh, interesting fact, Phil, you might not know this, but it right. actually came, the sound of the, the, the DeLorean kind of driving around that, actually came from Luke's land speeder in Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. It did it. It did. I wow. thought you'd like that. <laughs> oh, wow. That's a really interesting fact that I'm glad that you found out. <laughs> yeah, I found it out all on my own. <laughs> and then um, the piece yeah, de resistance, uh, the sound effect from 1993 that I remember freaking me out and watching my mum fly across the uh, cinema has to be the T-Rex from Jurassic Park. Come on, oh. play it for me. Okay. <laughs> Terrified. Incredible. And you know, that actually came from a lion, a crocodile, and a dog, all played did it? in various. Yeah, all played I in I knew they mixed string. up animal noises. It's like they did with, um, I think in Star Wars, and I didn't include this one, but the TIE Fighter, which is another great sound. Yeah. I think that's an elephant. Is it? I think it's the sound of an elephant uh, slowed down. And I can't remember. I read that somewhere, I'm wow. sure. Wow. I didn't know that. Um, that's such an iconic sound as well. I should really be able to this. With Jurassic Park, see, when you mentioned the um, T Rex roar, mm. I I mean that was terrifying at the time as a kid sitting in the cinema and mm. seeing the massive T Rex. But I was a little bit more scarred, I think, by the um, scene in the kitchen with the kids and the Velociraptors. Oh yeah. Ah, uh, I'm going to play a little sound clip of that. Yeah, it, it'll have a little bit of the, the stuff before, but it, it's great. Timmy, what is it? Oh. 
I mean, that's terrifying. It is terrifying. It is. Actually, <laughs> I love that. I love that scene so much. That yeah. scene in particular is bloody brilliant. And the, the, the actual sounds for that, that noise that actually came from mating turtles or tortoise. I think it might be tortoise. They kind of make this noise as they're, as they're <laughs> pounding away. Imagine that. You're in the, like, wherever turtles are. And you're like, shit, it's like fucking velociraptors. No, you just hear, you go, a, tur- a turtle happens to go into the movie theater and hears, sees the movie and hears itself shagging. I mean, it just be, <laughs> you wouldn't want your mum hearing that, would you? <laughs> 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 Not really. Not really, no. Uh, <laughs> moving on. So moving on. Uh, <laughs> I've got a couple more. So yeah. actually going back to Ghostbusters, this has to be one of the best. Ecto one. The old Ecto one, isn't it? I mean I still don't know why I was to be honest, I was a little bit disappointed when I came to visit you in New York that um not all of the police cars and ambulances used that siren. (laughs) I know, I know. And drove around in like extra double time because, like in the movie, yeah. it like sped up, isn't it? You see, like the yeah. steam coming out of the sewer, like super quick. <laughs> That's because a hearse isn't designed to go that far. If you honestly, I, I wasn't surprised when you came to New York that you were going to buy me a hearse and just park it outside my building, and, and I'd come down and you'd be like there working on it or something. I would have done that. I know you would because you are Ray Stance, and I, as you <laughs> rightly are suggesting, am Doctor Peter Venkman. It's true. I don't I'm to admit it, but it's Doctor Venkman. Um, so yeah, a couple more, yeah. um, cause these are fun, aren't they? Love them. Uh, I, well, we mentioned the pulse rifle, so I've got the sound file of that because it still is no argument. The coolest sounding gun from a, from a film. Of all still time. not cooler than Danny Glover's hand cannon from the lethal weapon films, but go ahead and play it. Well, okay. I will. I disagree. It's so cool. It's weird. I couldn't actually hear the sound of the pulse rifles because I think you maybe took your microphone into the toilet while you were relieving yourself, Phil. <laughs> After a Friday night curry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, another one I <laughs> another one I had to put in there because I always find them ridiculous, but they suit it. Is the punch noises from Indiana Jones? <laughs> They're like the wettest. Uh, slappiest sounding punches, aren't they? That you'll ever hear. Like a shotgun going off. It's odd. Like, I think, and when I was getting these sound files, someone wrote a comment. It made me laugh. And it said, um, it said, if it, it, if it made that noise when I punch someone, I'd be punching everyone all the time. (laughs) (laughs) And it said something like men, women, and children wouldn't be safe. Well, Uh, slightly disturbing. (laughs) Yeah, just a little bit. But here's the uh, here's the sound. Oh, that's incredible! They're so wet sounding. There he goes again. I don't know if I'd use. The, I don't know if I'd use the term wet sounding, but yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> And then we can't um, we can't talk about film sound effects without featuring the most used 
I think it's the most used. Well, it must be one of the most used sound effects of all time. Uh, the Wilhelm scream. Ah! <laughs> it's still funny every time. And it's ever since I found out about that, like years ago, I can hear it. No matter what film it's in, you yeah. can hear it. Yeah. It just sticks out. But they never, it sticks out, but never in a bad way. I don't know. I don't know. I'm a little bit done with the Wilhelm scream. That one and the other one, the yeah. Oh yeah. I'm a bit done. I'm a bit done with those. <laughs> I was done with that one after um uh Broken Arrow when the when Christian Slater drop kicks the guy out the side of the train off the bridge. He's just like, oh, yeah. Ah! oh that yeah. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A bit done with it. But no, yeah, it's a classic, right? I mean it was it's what it came out. Everything, isn't it? it was used in like I think originally like nineteen fifty one or something and it didn't get yeah, used again. I think it's from until... a Western, isn't it? Yeah, and it didn't Western get used film. again until um, uh, till Brett Burt used it in um, in uh, Star Wars, I believe, wasn't it? Yeah, because uh, I, I think it's a guy getting shot with an arrow on a horse and falling off his horse. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the kind of noise I'd make if I found yeah. a horse pub. That's the noise I'd make when you, you punch me with your wet hands. <laughs> <laughs> While uh, relieving myself from last night's curry. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I think we're done here. Are we done here? Did we're we, done, answer, yeah, did we answer the question, Chris? <laughs> I think so. Oh, Chris isn't on the line. I don't know why I'm addressing him directly. <laughs> Good stuff. Good stuff. So um, in this week's news, uh, moving on uh, to some really sad news. Um, obviously, the news that came trickling in over the weekend that uh, the American actor Chadwick Boseman passed away at the age of 43. Uh, apparently, he was suffering with stage three colon cancer. Uh, and he'd been dealing with it privately since 2015, which uh, sadly progressed to stage four before 2020. Um, and uh, no one really knew about this. It was a real shock to everybody in uh, not just the industry, also his friends um, and, uh, and and the world at whole as well. Um, he actually completed a lot of films while dealing with the condition, including the last two Avengers movies, Black Panther, the excellent Spike Lee joint, The Five Bloods that we reviewed uh, on one of our first podcasts. And also 21 Bridges. Uh, and he's going to be seen in his final movie later this year, posthumously, in Netflix's Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which is uh, a film uh, starring Viola Davis and obviously Chadwick um, taking place in the 1920s Chicago. In 1920s Chicago, it sounds like a really interesting role. It's based on a play. Um, so, you know, obviously very sad, very sad news. Um, yeah. And we interviewed a few weeks ago as well uh, a, a young upcoming actor called Jeff Gann, who actually worked with Chadwick on both Black Panther and one of his biggest kind of breakout roles, uh, which was which was Forty Two, uh, the Jackie Robinson movie, which was about the the first African American to play Major League Baseball in the modern era. Um, and obviously, he played for the Brooklyn Dodgers and faced considerable racism in the process. That's when he really came to my attention. Obviously, I knew Jeff through a friend. And I checked out that Brian Helgeland movie back in the day. That is really worth a, a watch. Um, if uh, if anyone you know hasn't seen it, you don't necessarily have to be a, a baseball fan to to watch that. Um, so, you know, re really sad news and, uh, you know, unexpected as well. And, you know, before even thinking about, you know, who's going to play you know, Black Panther in the future and all that kind of thing. I think it's worth just taking stock of the performances that he's put in place and uh, and go back and, and watch some of those films. So uh, Chadwick Boseman then, who passed away at 43 this week. In some other 
sad news, uh, although not quite as sad. Uh, but we saw the uh, coincidentally the trailer for Matt Reeves' The Batman, which dropped uh, mere hours after last week's episode ten of the Movie Mouth podcast was published. And in this case, uh, we just found out that Robert Pattinson has been diagnosed with COVID-19 and has had to halt production on the movie. So uh, really sad. Hopefully, you know, obviously gets well soon. He, they actually had only just restarted the production after the uh, after the, the COVID break. Uh, and they're actually filming up in Glasgow, Scotland, uh, when they found out that he was tested positive. So he will no doubt be in isolation and, and in recovery. But obviously, we, we hope that Batman can kick COVID's ass because uh, COVID sucks. And uh, we're looking forward to this movie after seeing this awesome, awesome trailer. Yeah, if anyone could do it, Batman can, I'm sure. So some double sad news. Anything you've picked up on this week, Phil? Yeah, just a, a couple of bits. So it was announced that um, The Mandalorian Season 2 has finally got a release date for new episodes. It's actually really soon <laughs> um there it's going to start streaming on disney plus on october the 30th um awesome. so i don't know yeah i don't know if um they're going to do it in a similar way as how they did it before because i think they when it came out on disney plus i think they put the first two up straight away and then they released them uh was it weekly i think yeah it was one episode a week which just really drew it out for everybody but it was a good it was a good idea because it was at the start of disney plus's launch and they didn't want people just signing up watching the whole thing and then and then leaving again yeah the free, within the free subscription complete business sense for that but um so yeah i'm really looking forward to that i i really enjoyed season one and it obviously did very well for um uh 15 emmy nominations etc um so that was the mandalorian and then just another quick one that um for fans of Jason Statham. Uh so he's um teaming up with Guy Ritchie again for actually their fifth uh project together. And they're working on a new spy thriller called Five Eyes, um which could be interesting. So he's set to he's an MI6 agent that's uh who's recruited. Please tell me he's got five eyes. <laughs> I wish he did. I don't think so. He has got a great character name, though. Are you ready for this? His Go name on. is Orson Fortune. <laughs> Orson Fortune has five Orson eyes. Orson Fortune. Yeah, yeah. You might have thought I didn't see you, but I got five fucking eyes in me head, and I, I see everything. <laughs> my name's Orson Fortune. I can also tell your future. Cross my palm with silver. Uh yeah, so, so that's coming out at some point. Uh, they have started working on it, basically. I think so. It could be interesting. I like Jason Statham. I also like Guy Ritchie. Yeah, of I really, course. I really like, like the Guy gentleman. Ritchie makes an amazing film. So did they've watch, been in. Did you um, watch the gentleman? His last one. No, I didn't. I haven't seen that yet. No. Oh Ray, no, don't stop it, Ray. Don't Hugh Grant in that is absolutely incredible. You got to watch that movie, <laughs> Ray. Oh Ray, can I come up to your bedroom and watch you, Raymondo? Can I? <laughs> yeah, because they've done Lockstock, uh, Snatch, Revolver, and there's a new one coming out called Wrath of Man, which is an upcoming one that they're both in as well. Okay. Um, Star Trek: so The yeah. Wrath of Man. <laughs> man <laughs> man 
That's a reference for Star Trek to the Wrath of Khan, by the way, which is Khan, Khan, yeah, Khan. Okay, cool. <laughs> Just to be clear. And that's it from my news. Blimey, it's a lot of bloody news that you've got there, though, Phil. I've got to say, I'm quite impressed. So actual <laughs> positive news for a change. Yeah, I thought I'd try and, you know, after the sad news, try and spin it a bit. Lighten the mood. Yeah, lighten the mood. Trailers. Um, so what have you been, have you seen any good trailers this week? Well, the trailers I saw this week, Miles, uh, I saw with you. Yes, you bloody did. We saw them together. We saw them together. Not on a virtual reality headset. No. Not on Zoom, doing some crap quiz together, (laughs) drinking shots. As with our masks on. With our masks on. In an actual cinema. Yes. Um, First one. I mean, come on. No Time to Die, 007. Yeah. James Bond. Yeah. That was it. I mean, action was, packed. Yeah. Action packed. Bond is—he's never been more actiony. No, he was—he was every. I mean, he's looking quite old, Daniel Craig. Um, well, he is, yeah. Trim. I mean, trim but old. Yeah, uh, but he's—he—he's he, he, swinging off bridges. He's flying in hybrid glider slash submarines, dodging rolling cars, crashing over them in the woods, jumping get, over bridges on a motorbike. Oh, yeah, he's jumped over a bridge on a motorbike as well. Yeah, that's like my favourite bit of the trailer. Was it? That and the spinning uh, machine gun Aston Martin. That is that is pretty cool. It's super, super action. A friend of mine actually said that he, he believes that the uh, Eon, the production company, have taken the kind of lead of the Mission Impossible franchise and the Avengers kind of going all out in the trailers and showing this kind of you know insane level of stunts and all that kind of thing. And I, I mm. agree. I, like, I am... I'm looking forward to it, ish. I just, I don't know. I, I feel like this is a this is a move for the mainstream, if that makes sense. I feel like they're they're definitely trying to align this more with a mainstream audience, which is good, which is a good thing. I just, mm. I think I might just be a little bit done with with Daniel Craig's Bond. Um, yeah, I think I might agree with you there. Um, they're always good. Like you know, there's, you know when you go and watch, especially like modern modern Bond films, you expect to see some amazing like set piece stunts and some really good, yeah, just some really well choreographed stuff. But I don't know, it just gets a bit. I think it's because before that, not many people did it as much. Mm, mm. But now, you know, since Born and Mission Impossible and all the other big franchises and action films is sort of expected yeah yeah for you to have like a huge um set piece i don't know but they always pull it off well don't they yeah they do they really do um i mean maybe spectre not so much um Mm. but definitely looking forward to it i love there was a shot right at the start of these kind of um like a kind of SWAT team or like, I don't know, whatever, kind of going down the side of a building in London at sunset with, uh, yeah. with like the sun setting, which, which looked really cool. Looked kind of um, very similar to uh, a, a lot of shots uh, from um, Sicario, for example, where they use the kind of sunlight and the sunset yeah. in that, which looked really, really nice. Um, so, yeah, no, I'm looking forward to it. But, you know, obviously I'll go and see it. But uh, I don't know if the excitement is, is still there for me. And then we saw what was the other one? We saw Wonder Woman, nineteen eighty four. Yeah, that was it. Um, and I've not seen the original. I've not seen the other Wonder Woman, the first one, which I know I should remedy. You're were you tell me? Aren't you? You're going to tell were me. Were you Wonder Ring? What was going on? 
not really. I mean, that was just looked good. Yeah, um, I mean, I'll be honest. I was quite. I'm quite surprised to see Steve Trevor, Chris Pine back. Um, yeah, but I won't spoil the. I mean, yeah, I don't know. First month. Um, I, I was shocked to see him in the trailer because I didn't know he was in the first one. Yeah, he's good. Really good, actually, in the first one. Um, as is Gal Gadot. Uh, I think this looks really good. Looks fun. And she's got a it, new nemesis. Yeah, but played by Kristen Wiig. Kristen yeah, Kristen Wiig, which is pretty yeah. crazy seeing her in a serious role rather than you know in uh, in a comedy role. She plays Barbara Minerva, aka Cheetah, and we see her in full Cheetah costume <laughs> at the end of the uh, of the trailer. Um, good to see the Mandalorian as well. Pedro Pascal is in this. Yeah, uh, it seems to be some kind of big bad, uh, aka Max Lord. Mm. Um, but I don't know. It looks, it looks, it looks fun. I just feel like when they set these things in in the eighties, you know, like Stranger Things, that kind of thing, they really have to to make it look authentic. And this, it looks too clean and too recent to be to be set in nineteen eighty four. Do you know what I mean? It's almost like a populist opinion of or an idea, an idealized opinion of nineteen eighty four. It doesn't yeah. feel like a kind of gritty, you know, eighties set. Really, it just feels like it's now with you know our idea of what eighties clothes are. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I got parachute pants. <laughs> Um, and a Hawaiian shirt, yeah, and a and a and a bum bag. No, it's not called <laughs> yeah. a fanny pack. It's not called a fanny pack. It's a bum bag. Um, no, exactly. So, but yeah, it looks good. I like the music as well in the in the trailer. It looks pretty mm. cool. And then the other big one that we didn't see in cinemas, but obviously came off the back of uh, DC's big um, big kind of online conference this week, was the trailer for the new James Gunn uh, Suicide Squad or the Suicide Squad. Um, which uh, obviously is, is being released. Um, apparently, it's going to be released next year in August next year. Uh, but this is more of a cast announcement trailer. But in it, we get to see that Harley Quinn, um, played by Margot Robbie, will be back, surprisingly. So I wasn't sure if she was going to be in this. Interestingly as well, also is Joel Kinnaman as Rick Flagg, who was in the was also in the original one, along with Jai Courtney um, and Viola Davis. Um, and, and in this case, actually, they're, they're reprising their roles. But James Gunn had already said that this was kind of a reboot, kind of a continuation. So it's going to be going to be interesting to see how they kind of deal with that um, as it kind of goes along. Big cast, this one as well. Big Driss, we just talked about. Idris Elba's playing Bloodsport. Pete Davidson, um, who, who we, we talked, we reviewed uh, his Judd Apatow movie a few weeks ago. He's in this as Blackguard. Uh, the amazing Nathan Fillion. I mean, you know, you just don't mess with Nathan Fillion. Um, Sean Gunn, which is really interesting. Sean Gunn is uh, is the director's brother, and he played Rocket Raccoon in um, the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. Uh, and in this, he's playing Weasel, which is, almost looks like a kind of cynical kind of sideswipe at Marvel for firing James Gunn, obviously from that that property, and now bringing him yeah. back to, to to direct the third um, Guardians of the Galaxy movie. And of course, Michael Rooker, who's in every uh, James Gunn movie ever, I believe. Uh, and he's always always good. He of course is Yondu in um, yeah, uh, in the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. So huge cast. Oh, also John Cena is in there randomly as Peacemaker. So just a a really interesting um, cast announcement trailer. The one person that we didn't get to see in this is Taika Waititi. Um, we don't yet know who he's playing, but we do know he's playing a major role in it. But it wasn't announced here. So looking forward to seeing him appearing in future trailers in whatever guys he might be in so that was the trailers um moving on 
the reviews. So we've got, as I mentioned, some huge reviews. And we'll start first off with Christopher Nolan's Tenet. Before we kind of go into the movie, I just want to say we're not going to spoil anything here. Phil, don't spoil anything, as you always do. <laughs> Joking, it's usually me. Um, but for those of you who follow our Instagram stories, you will have seen that Phil and I actually reviewed this in person together in a cinema. Uh, not just any cinema, but the bloody BFI IMAX in London, boasting one of the largest screens in Europe, if not the world. Uh, how was it being back in a cinema, Phil? It was good, I must say. It was really good to see uh, a film, especially one as big as Tenet and sort of as, you know, um, as, you know, there was so much anticipation for it. Mm. I just think it was, yeah, it was it was great to be in there and you know it's a bit odd it's a bit of an odd experience there was mm. empty seats and there was you know i think i wore my mask the entire time through the film which made it a bit odd, apart from when i was taking sips of beer <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah i mean it's a special cinema to see something like this in anyway it's a great yeah. it's a great location uh, I think I said to you at the time, the last time I'd been to the IMAX in London, because I've been to others since, but last time I've been to that was to see all three Lord of the Rings films overnight. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, which was really good. It wasn't, uh, luckily they weren't the extended versions. I don't think I could have taken that, but uh, it was still good. No, I know. I, I absolutely love the BFI. So when when I lived in in the UK, whenever there was a big release, I'd always be there. Favorite moments: I saw Dunkirk there twice, which nearly blew my ears off. Mm. Um, Blade Runner twenty forty nine, I saw twice as well, which was absolutely amazing. Uh, Inception, I saw there the first time I ever saw Inception. Um, Mission Impossible: Ghost <laughs> Protocol, I saw there, which was also shot in part in IMAX. You know those scenes where he's jumping out of the Burj Khalifa. Oh yeah. Um, absolutely amazing. Wall wall to wall to ceiling, uh floor to ceiling views of that was incredible. Yeah. Uh and then I also saw a really special Jurassic Park re-release in 4K 3D, I believe it was, a few Ooh. years back before Jurassic World was released and that was absolutely incredible. I just, you know, one of the greatest ever uh, moments going to the cinema was seeing Jurassic Park the first time and that was right up yeah. there. So it was I mean, when you think about how far this film's been pushed back, um, it was originally supposed to be released in uh, July, I believe, uh, June, yeah. July. Uh, it got pushed back three times. So, you know, we talked about this continuously on the podcast over the last few months and actually getting to see it together um, in person in that cinema. It was a really special cinema going experience for me this year. So absolutely awesome. I'm glad that we could do it together. Yeah. Um, so as mentioned, we're not going to spoil this, but I'm just going to jump into the summary of Christopher Nolan's Tenet. Um, of, of course, uh, this is, uh, again, very uh, spoiler-free. Um, so even in the uh, the story, I'm not going to kind of break that down in, in, any, in any way or give you much of a background on the characters. But armed with only one word, Tenet, and fighting for the survival of the entire world, a protagonist, played by John David Washington, son of Denzel, journeys through a twilight world of international espionage on a mission that will unfold in something beyond real time. Uh, I don't know if that explains the story, but basically you could say this is a James Bond movie done by Christopher Nolan. So, you know, with a super, super high IQ. Um, we start, We mentioned at the start of the podcast, there's a, there's a line in this movie, which is basically don't try to understand it too much. 
um, mm. just kind of go along with it. And and I think it's it's better for that if if you actually do act like that with this film. Um, the story is pretty complicated to start with. Um, the way things are kind of laid out is also very exposition heavy because for the first half of the movie, you're basically just trying to figure out what the hell is going on. Um, and, and even actually, you know, towards the end as well, but it, it is one of those films like Inception that, you know, the more you kind of sit there with it and, and after it, the more you start to kind of understand it. What did you think of the kind of general story? Yeah, I think what you said is, is pretty true. Mm. It's funny actually, because I was, I was on a long drive yesterday and, uh, I heard a radio advert for Tenet and the way they describe it in their own trailer radio trailer is it's james bond on acid and i thought that's <laughs> that's quite a good it's james bond and lucy in the bloody sky with diamonds <laughs> tangerine is... trees all appear on the shore <laughs> it is um i think the don't try and understand it line i think that rubbed some people out the wrong way from reviews i've read it's just like well if if we, if it, if one of the characters can tell you to don't try to understand it, how are we meant to understand it? Yeah, I mean to be well, honest, think... that 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 scene in particular, there's a, there's a whole expositional scene where uh, the protagonist, John David Washington, is is learning about this. Um, um, again, we're not going to go into it, but this kind it's of completely time... all in the trailer though. That scene, yeah, that is, it is. So, yeah. so 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 that it, it's the scene where you know it, it's it's he's firing the gun, and instead of firing the gun, he's quote unquote catching the bullets. It's that scene, and it is that for me that that would, it takes place about maybe a third of the way into the movie. Yeah. I absolutely hated it, and not yeah. only did I hate that entire scene, all of the exposition. I also hated the performances in that scene. Other than that, I think the performances were very good. But it, I mean, just, you know, don't try and catch the bullet because you haven't dropped it yet. It was just very, it was very Matrix-like. At any minute, I was expecting Neo to walk out and go, whoa, whoa. You know, it, <laughs> it was that. And very dry very deadpan and and i think it lost a few people i think i could hear a few people laughing at that scene in 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 the theater mm. uh, around me i know i was <laughs> um i mean it it did scramble my brain i think i'll say that it 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 scrambled my brain quite a lot but it didn't detract i never i never found myself bored of the film it didn't detract from me watching it because you know, one, you, we were watching on that an amazing screen with the amazing sound that you get with along with that. But you're also watching Christopher Nolan visuals, which are always really striking anyway. Um, yeah. So it, it doesn't matter how complicated it was or how complicated it gets. Yes, I need to watch it again to do another pass on it just to try and guess what the hell's going on. But um, yeah, I, someone said to me at the end of that, that oh I didn't I didn't get it I didn't I didn't like it it was rubbish I was like but one I didn't understand it as much as I could have done but I'd watch that any day over another run of the mill horror or yeah you know romantic comedy not even compar or, comparable yeah yeah at least like it's it's something that is completely different. You, it's you've come out never with a seen. Idea I, I can you've never seen action set pieces wise. You've never seen anything like it. No, never. Not at all. 
Never. And yeah, it's the fact that um, it's a true, you know, it's an original idea and it makes you think, and I'd way rather go and watch something I don't understand 50% of than, as I said, another run-of-the-mill action or something. Yeah, yeah. And I liked, you know, I, I liked how afterwards, you know, this is a kind of film that in, in this day and age that we need. We need a film that we can watch, we can sit down with friends afterwards, have a beer and talk about it. You know, how long yeah. has it been since you've done that, really? You know, that you've a film that you've really, you know, invested time in and you're trying to figure it out. And you know this comes from a quality source, comes from a great director, a great auteur, uh, and, and, and is executed incredibly to the point where, you know, people don't necessarily understand it. I think going back and watching it again is going to be, you know, it's going to give people the ability to do that. I think other people will have just given up within the first half. And to be honest, I'll be honest, the first 40 minutes or so, I was very close. I was very close to to, to feeling like this just wasn't for me. And and I really like Chris Nolan. I'm hit and miss with some of the big ones. Um, much publicized. Not a huge fan of The Dark Knight. Um, but but in 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 this, uh, I was really scared. And then it kind of hits that halfway point, and uh, the genius starts to kind of unravel, and you start to see what's going on. And you start to kind of figure things out. And again, it's not a twist. It's not something you have to sit there kind of worrying that you're not catching it. It's just, just go with it, you know, which is, I guess, mm. you know, the whole point. So, so yeah. And uh, I mean, you know, visual, visuals wise, uh, Hoyt van Hoytema, who is the, um, uh, the cinematographer on this, he was the cinematographer on uh, Interstellar as well. Uh, on Dunkirk, uh, I've been a huge fan of his uh, cinematography since Let the Right One In, the Swedish vampire movie. Yeah, um, just incredible. Uh, interesting. He also did uh, Spectre as well. But um, but I, I'm a big fan of his. And I think this it just looks stunning. The the shots over um, Capri, the the island of Capri, when they're kind of mm. perched up on this kind of cliff. Wow, the boats, the the huge yachts out in the bay, and all those scenes. The, I mean, again, not, not I don't want to spoil any any of the, the set pieces, but just, just some stuff that just looked incredible. And you know, I was sitting next to another friend, and he was just like, "Wow, like this looks stunning." Yeah, um, absolutely mind blowing. And I think this is the kind of thing you have to see on a big screen. You know, don't wait for it to be on Netflix because it's just not going to get give you the impact of of the uh, of the of the spectacle that, that's there. And, you know, if you if you're okay about going out into the real world right now and uh, sitting down a, in a in a cinema which is socially distanced and you have a mask, then, I mean, what is this film? It's a huge recommendation, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. You want to see something different. You want to see something that looks amazing, sounds amazing, and gets you thinking. Get along to a cinema when you can. I'm almost looking forward to doing a movie store corner section of it so I can watch it again and we can discuss it in full, understanding everything and, you know. Yeah. Looking. And of course, you know, the first part is called <laughs> time. The second part is called catching the bullet. The third part is called if you didn't catch the bullet, you got to drop it. <laughs> my, my brain. Sir Michael's in there. Sir Michael Kane is in there somewhere. <laughs> check it out okay so moving on uh we're gonna go to the small screen now from the biggest screen to the smallest hbo's new period horror tv show lovecraft country produced by the amazing jordan peele of us and get out fame and created by misha green this 
series is based on a book by Matt Ruff of the same name. It takes place in a pre-civil rights era south side of Chicago, where we find our protagonist Atticus dealing with post-traumatic stress disorder after a stint fighting overseas in Korea. Here, returning to his childhood home to find his father. Only he's missing, with just a few clues as to where he went. This stars Jonathan Majors as Atticus or Tick, uh, Journey Smollett as strong female lead Letty, and Courtney B. Vance as Uncle George. Um, really unusual format, this. It's kind of part narrative, part anthology series. So everything's connected. They're the same characters. But in each episode, the theme changes ever so slightly. It's really, really unusual. Not right. really seen anything like it. Um, and to put it bluntly, the opening first minute sees Tick, or Atticus Tick, racing across a battlefield, fighting Cthulhu-like tentacle beasts and dodging spaceships before Jackie Robinson appears, swinging his baseball bat and ripping a giant creature in half. Literally, this is the first <laughs> minute. I was like, what, the, what is happening? Yeah. Um, really, really strange. Episode one is a... I watched three episodes of this. Episode one's kind of a road trip on the road to kind of find the father, expertly directed by Jan Demange, who directed 71 and Top Boy, if you ever saw that on Netflix. Um, he was also courted, funnily enough, for, for Bond movies in recent years. So he's definitely a big name. Um, and and it, was, it was great. Loved episode one. It was set in this kind of, as I mentioned, pre-civil rights era. Um, loved all of the, the kind of political tone, really relevant for now. Uh, didn't feel too kind of, um, you know, like hammered into the, into the plot. Until, um, and I'm again not going to spoil this, but an almost like from dusk till dawn shift from civil rights era road movie into all out uh, fucking horror. Uh, um, really weird, really, really unusual. To be honest, if episode two wasn't already available, I would have just given up. Um, I watched episode two. Uh, this takes a slightly different tone, goes delves into witchcraft and cultish wizardry, a format that I absolutely despise, to be honest. Episode two, I was I really was kind of kind of done with. Um, and again, I don't know why, but episode three was just there and it just auto played on HBO. <laughs> and episode three is like a haunted house show with Letty as the kind of primary character. Um, she kind of owns buys this kind of like board house and opens it up for African-Americans in a predominantly white area of Chicago. Um, and it, it's almost like the plot didn't happen, but it kind of did, but it's kind of moved on a little bit. It, it's really, really weird. I love the production values. The period setting is awesome. Civil rights focused elements also really cool, but it kind of just feels like they've bolted on these horror, horror elements to this awesome kind of story and these amazing characters. Mm. Um it's really jarring. It goes from a really serious subject of racism and violence to then monsters ripping people apart and uh, a giant uh, basketball playing man ghost with a baby's head scaring people. <laughs> um, <laughs> wow. It's so weird. It's so weird. It's really unusual. I'm not sure if it's absolute genius or really, really, really terrible. Um, episode four is coming this weekend on HBO, which I heard has a Raiders of the Lost Ark vibe. Mm. And apparently episode five, which is supposed to be a balls to the wall gore fest and the best episode of the season is also coming. So I'm, I'm looking forward to those, um, but I'm also not. 
I've never been so divided on a show. If it had only that one episode to watch, I would have immediately given up. Honestly, I had a friend text me telling me, tell me to watch it. Uh, and I watched it and we both had the same opinion. He didn't continue on uh, into episode three. I did. Um, and I was thinking about whether or not to give this a thumbs up. To be honest, I couldn't take my eyes off it. So it is a recommendation for me, albeit under duress of it potentially being the worst thing HBO have put out in years <laughs> or the best. I just don't know. I like the sound of it. I think I'm going to have to try it. Give it a go. Give it a go. But you have been warned. <laughs> Fair enough. So, uh, speaking of weird comings and goings, up next is Bill and Ted face the music. 31 years after having an excellent adventure and 29 after their bogus journey, Ted Theodore Logan and Bill S. Preston Esquire finally return. This sees the ruler of the future telling best friends Bill and Ted that they must compose a new song to save reality as we know it. But instead of writing it, they decide to travel through time to steal it from their older selves. Meanwhile, their young daughters devise their own musical scheme to help their fathers bring harmony to the universe. What did you think about this, Phil? <laughs> I've been looking forward to this for a long time. Um, maybe not 30 years, but <laughs> since I saw they were doing it, I thought, well, why not? It could be fun. You know, a lot of things you think, oh, there's no need, don't bother. But this is just a wholesome, fun film, isn't it? It's There's no like, agendas being pushed with it. It's, it's humour's nice and clean. It's just an enjoyable hour and a half. It's, I don't, it's not going to win any awards, let's put it that way. Um, but it's... Uh, and I think you do have to be a fan of the first two, really, to watch it. I think if you came into this having never seen a Bill and Ted film, you'd be like, "What the hell is going on?" Um, but I, I enjoyed it. I, I thought it was a bit hit and miss. Um, yeah, some bits I just found really not that funny, and some I did find quite funny. Uh, yeah, I enjoyed it overall. Yeah, I mean, uh, take on board all of that. I think this is, it's kind of critique free. Like, this is not a hateful movie. You cannot hate this film. There's nothing about this film that you shouldn't necessarily not like. No. It's, it's it, you know what I mean? It's it's not a bad film um, by any stretch. It's a fairly, you know, um, low budgeted film. Um, you know, and I love seeing the Orion um kind of title card come up at the beginning from the yeah, classic Orion movies one, of the yeah, 80s and 90s. Yeah, that was really cool. Um, you know, nostalgia to the max on this one. Funny what you say about, about you know, people having to watch the, the, the originals. I actually watched it with someone who hadn't seen uh, the originals and they really enjoyed it. But they, it was really oh, funny okay. just seeing, you know, these two doofuses kind of go about their lives and, you know, go into the, into the future and so on. So uh, interestingly to note, you know, not necessarily you know, just for nostalgia heads, but, you know, fun. And actually, I wasn't too frustrated with the daughter's side quest because I was kind of thinking, oh, here we go, you know, yeah. handing over. The I actually quite liked it, quite enjoyed did, it. Yeah. I actually was enjoying that possibly more than Bill and Ted's quest. Yeah, I was um, actually. <laughs> was really, was pretty cool. Um, I, I think, you know, that some of the effects are really bad. I think the... Are, um, actually, yeah, I noticed that quite a lot. 
Yeah, I, I don't think the performances were generally that great um, across the board, really, from anyone, including Keanu Reeves. Um, but then, you know, they kind of played like that in the original anyway, you know. Yeah. And when you think about that, it's kind of a wonder that he had he's had the career he's had because people could immediately just assume that's his acting. Like, that's, do you know what I mean? That's who he is. <laughs> the way- Where he just can't stop, like, bouncing on the spot. Like, yeah. His head. yeah. 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 Totally. Yeah. 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 Cool. Um, not a particularly funny script. I don't think there were there was much really in this that was kind of written that was that was that hilarious. Um, I don't think the previous two were really that funny anyway. Were they? Were they really? Well, that's what I was trying to think because I've not seen them both for a while, and I think I'm going to go and rewatch them now. But I was yeah. thinking how I was trying to think like how you're always going to have a different spin on them because we would have grown up with them and we would have seen them as that sort of like cult yeah film mm-hmm. you know from the early 90s that was out then so but I, can't, I was trying that's exactly what I was trying to think when I was watching it. I was like are the other ones like this sort of kind of humor in it yeah I, I yeah. couldn't remember that I, I don't I don't really think they are you know I think it's just very very childish you know and that's that's okay that's that's kind of what you got here um but it still left me with a nostalgic smile on my face yeah uh, although not many laughs yeah favorite moments though um, we see him in the trailer, but William Sadler returning as Death. I thought he was awesome, really yeah. petulant and put upon. Yeah, and we find he's out he's always good. He's been kicked out of the band for his Spinal Tap like thirty-five minute jazz bass solos. <laughs> bass solos, yeah, <laughs> I love it. Um, and also hilarious as well. Um, I really liked uh, Anthony Corrigan as the Death Robot, Dennis <laughs> ro- Caleb McCoy. <laughs> yeah, I think he's got what well, the the funniest. <laughs> part of the films the film to be honest which part well just well it will be a spoiler if i say it so i i don't think i can yeah. but after he makes a mistake and then uh yeah he makes a mistake and then apologizes for it and i just thought it was quite funny yeah i mean i think he was i think he was really i think he's really good anthony yeah. carrigan he's he's actually brilliant have you seen the hbo comedy barry no so th- this is for all our listeners out there. This is the Bill Hader starring uh, hitman comedy Barry on HBO, where a hitman from the Midwest moves to Los Angeles, and in- and he kind of tr- tries to shirk being a hitman and tries to become an actor in LA. And uh, uh, Anthony Carrigan is in this as uh, the incredible Hank, who's just absolutely brilliant his delivery is brilliant so if you if you liked him in this you should definitely check out barry um so in general then i don't think it was worth the 29 year wait to catch up with the boys um but it was still fun i still enjoyed myself i think it's one have a few beers a bottle of wine a few margaritas and you're going to get some laughs out of it um but maybe don't expect it to be everything this is available now on video on demand, so you can you can buy this, download this, rent it, uh, Amazon Prime, Apple, all these kind of places. So check that out if you are that way inclined. And now, finally, we move to everybody's favorite section. It is Video Store Corner, and this week we have the seminal, the classic. Uh, <clears throat> Uh, sci-fi action adventure Stargate from 1994 directed by Roland Emmerich of Independence Day 2012 Universal Soldier 
Godzilla, The Day After Tomorrow, Midway. What was that? <laughs> what was that one that was about Shakespeare not being Shakespeare and running around doing stuff in London? Can't remember what it was called. Well, yes, yeah, he directed that as well. I will. It wow. will come to me. It will come to me, and I will scream in your face. <laughs> when I remember it. But this is uh, this one was recommended to us by a friend of mine in New York, Robert Altamore, who is an absolutely genius film lover. He told me, get back on this. You need to see it. Uh, I actually hadn't seen Stargate since the 90s, believe it or oh, not. Me either. I can't wow. remember any of it. <laughs> me too. Uh, <laughs> me too. In fact, I watched it this morning and I still don't remember anything uh, about it, but I'll give you the plot summary. <laughs> an interstellar teleportation device found in Egypt leads to a planet with humans resembling ancient Egyptians who worship the god Ra. Uh, an extra planetary mission is sent into the Stargate by James Spader's Dr. Daniel Jackson and Kurt Russell's Colonel Jonathan O'Neill, or Jack O'Neill, to to basically find out what is on the other side of the Stargate. Phil, what what did you think of this movie? (laughs) Oh, I I enjoyed it. It was, was, it's fine. It's as a 90s action, it was... I think it started like more excitingly than it finished. <laughs> it was just like I really like the idea of here's a, a question. Stargate. Here's a, here's a yeah. question. Here's a question. Right. Go on. Before the film kind of elaborated on on where they were going to go. Yeah. What were you imagining was going to be on the other side of the Stargate? Um. I'll, I'll be honest. When I watched this in the nineties. I don't. I didn't even remember what was on the other side. I vaguely remember some dude with silver pharaoh, gold pharaoh hat on, on headpiece yeah. thing. Yeah, I remember like the dog but, like, but with the what light were up you, eyes. Face. What were you thinking was going to be on the other side of the Stargate? I just thought it would be more exciting. Yeah, more exciting. Just more Egypt. More like the mummy. <laughs> it's just a shitload of sand, isn't it? At the end it's of the day, they get to the people. other side. It's just a shitload of sand. There's no, there's no like you know Avatar. Think Avatar. Oh, he comes, he goes inside an Avatar, and and now he, all of a sudden he's blue. And look, the world is all these plants and magical dragons <laughs> flying people around, and everything's talking. Nature's talking to itself. No, this is just a okay. endless fucking desert of sand with one pyramid and one place where a load of Egyptian people are now living and basically constructing a pyramid. Yeah. The end. Yeah. Well, you missed out about the flying pyramid and the elaborate, please, eight. please. <laughs> well, Ra uh, is the sun god. Ra is actually an alien, isn't he? We find out quite early on. He's an alien, and he's taken the form of the sun god Ra so that people worship him. Because he's trying to stay alive, basically. He's trying to yeah. c- keep eternal youth. And um, he drives he's a gray. He's a, a grey alien, wasn't he? He was a grey. He's grey, very grey. He looks like... Um, he looks basically... When they Paul. show you the bits where you see the... Alien, <laughs> he looks, he like, looks Paul. like one of the ones from Cocoon. Yeah, he, does, he looks like Paul. Paul, from, <laughs> yeah, basically. Doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Um, By the way, Paul is basically a movie about me and Phil if we ever found an alien. <laughs> Drive across the desert to Comic-Con. Yeah, definitely. In an RV. <laughs> so Paul basically decides to become a human <laughs> to save his skin. Yeah. He does. And he, and then he just drives around in his um, pyramid-shaped spaceship. <laughs> what is he doing? And he what lands he on top of other pyramids. What? Now that now that he's got like eternal life or whatever, why is he driving around, flying around space in his giant pyramid, like sitting on top of other pyramids and doing the fairies thing? What is he remember. actually doing? I can't actually remember. That's the problem. Well, the I whole think... point was he wanted eternal life. He got What's eternal he life, and then oh yeah, and then he's just floating around in his in his giant pyramid. Yeah, but why is he making them build another pyramid? No idea. He just likes them to be ser- servants because they yeah. said, oh, he left He left Earth because all these years ago because there was an uprising and the, uh, the Egyptians overthrew the Ra's, you know, soldier people. And they found the fossils, didn't they, of the trampled fossil men? Um, yeah. How long does it take fossils to be created, by the way? Because that was like, what was that, 10,000 years in the past? It's going to be like 75 million or to 100 million years. <laughs> I don't know. I'm so they turned to stone in 10,000 years, basically. But anyway, it was um, un- unusual. Unusual. I don't really know what his mission was other than just building a shitload of pyramids. No. I, th- <laughs> I think there's two things I loved about this film. One was... Just, um, just the two. Just, <laughs> just the two. <laughs> Number one, and you made a comment about this, was... Uh, Kurt Russell's Kurt Russell's top. haircut. Yeah, Kurt Russell's haircut. Aim for the flat top. I mean, because when you first see him in the film, he hasn't got that haircut. He's like got sort of like a cool sort of longish. Uh, He's doing a Martin Riggs, isn't he? He's doing yeah. a Martin Riggs from Lethal Weapon. He's sitting on his bed, looking at a picture of his child with basically a gun in his hand, about to blow his brains out. Yeah, deep for a, fi- a family sci-fi adventure. He's <laughs> a bit, isn't it? and he's got long back. He's got long hair, isn't he? He's got long hair. And I thought, well, he looks all right. That's pretty cool, sort of. Um, and then he turns up with what can only be described as Guile from Street Fighter. That's exactly, that is 100% what I thought immediately. You could like, literally cut yourself on his hair. I, such I said a sharp you, flat top. If he sat down next to you, you could rest your pint on it and it wouldn't spill. <laughs> you definitely could. It was like it being, it looked like a Premier League football pitch. It was flat. As flat can be. It was. You've got some real zip on it when you kick the ball. Do you think uh, Colonel <laughs> O'Neill would like you resting your pint on his head? Oh, his no. Hairstyle? No, no, no. Get your damn pint off my goddamn flat he, top. He'd break me. He would. He'd bra- he breaks everyone in this film. He's not yeah. a nice guy. It took a long time for me to figure out whether he was good or bad in this. Well... They're, yeah, he's not because really he beats nice the person. shit out of people that they're trying to shut the door. These nice, you know, indigenous folk that have saved him from a sandstorm, and he's like smacking their head on the door. Yeah, it didn't them take out. long, did it? They overreacted pretty quickly, <laughs> and then he's shooting their feet, shooting at their feet, <laughs> making them dance. Yeah. Um. So that was number one thing that you loved was Kurt Russell's haircut. Okay, so I'm guessing number two is going to be a really, really good thing if that was the first thing. He's <laughs> not though, because number two. Um, you know when they arrive in ancient Egypt, and yes. the first thing they find is that weird horse-like creature. 
yes, that's sort of like a cross panther. between like a. It's like a bantha, isn't it? Yeah, it's like a bantha. Yeah, from Star Wars. And there's a bit where um, James Spader's character so he gets attached to it, and it sort of drags him through the desert, doesn't he? Yeah. And then and it like, licks like, the face and farts. I was like, that's pretty cool. I wonder. And the first thing I was thinking while that was happening, because it goes on for a little bit, was I wonder how they did that, because it looks quite good. And then I realized that the only way that it's possible to do that <laughs> was to dress a horse up in a costume. <laughs> so they dressed a horse in this. Is that weird... real? Yes. Like, because you look at it, it's not a model. And I've read I've read it since then in my trivia, which is coming up. Um they didn't apparently dogs were used for a part of it <laughs> dressed up dogs dressed up dogs dragged james spader through the desert it was real horses distance? with external costumes draped over them they must have because been because you so see it hot. and it's actually full size like you know they're dragging the guy through it's a stunt you know a horse for the, for the, the listeners the these are like big hairy like things big hairy like camel type alien you know things. alien cow things and one of them drags james spader off through the desert Actually, that's the other thing I've not thought about. Why is it not just a horse? I don't why, know. If they've gone back to ancient Egypt, why did these mythical creatures suddenly exist? No, they haven't gone back to ancient Egypt. They've gone to another planet where... Oh, where ancient Egyptians are. Yes. Oh, God. That's right. <laughs> oh, it's another planet. Oh, fuck, I love the film now. Hence why it's called fucking Stargate. And hence why I'm saying to you, what did you imagine was going to be on the other side of this Stargate? Was it going to be something unimaginable that you've never seen? Or was it just going to be a shitload of sand that looks like any old desert in our, on our planet? The mummy. Exactly. The only thing that was different on this planet were the fucking horses that were these weird, fucking hairy, vulgar, farting, licking, <laughs> salivating hence, creatures. Hence my confusion. Yeah. No, but it may, you you make a really good point, and, and that's the whole point. Like this planet that they go to, it is so bland and boring, and and I like did. they may as well have just gone back in time to ancient Egypt. I didn't have the budget, did they? No, but I mean, they had the budget to do something better, surely. I mean, it's it was yeah. so bland, so bland. I found it so boring. These 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 parts were so boring. It the, did drag like, a little bit. Oh my god. Yeah, no wonder I don't remember it as a kid because it it is the only things I really remembered were James Spader, and and it, with his like mop top like like long cut bangs and, and glasses. Yeah, and vaguely Kurt Russell. And and to be honest, when I watch this again, I couldn't remember if if Kurt Russell was the guy with the mop top and glasses or not. I I wasn't <laughs> sure. I was like, was Kurt Russell the guy? That's how little I remember this film. Yeah. Um, just, I, uh, I mean, it's not a bad film. There's nothing, there's no bad performances. There's, there's like the effects are generally pretty good yeah, apart right. from Ra's, <laughs> apart from Ra's eyes when he's oh, scrambling I've got some, people's I've got brains to say about that. And in a he, minute. Go, he, go, he goes all Christopher Lloyd from who framed Roger Rabbit. <laughs> Tunes! Tunes! <laughs> <laughs> thought he's going to get run over by a steamroller and his eyes are going to pop out. His legs are going to curl up like paper. <laughs> Tunes. Yeah, I mean, I tell you what else is weird. Roland Emmerich, he always chooses really unusual people in his movies. 
Um, like there, there's always something like Jeff Goldblum in Independence Day, for example. Kind of strange. Yeah. Carson George, you know what I mean? Like in a in a in a huge blockbuster. James Spader <laughs> is in this huge blockbuster. Like he's basically the main star because Kurt Russell. He's the lead, is, yeah. He's the lead. He's the lead here. How? How did that happen? And also, yeah, where did James Spader go for like 25 years? Because I know. A- after just... that, where was he? Where's he been? I, I, I remember he's done a lot of TV stuff, hasn't he? Since yeah, but like he 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 was actually really good in this. I thought he yeah. was actually really good. Like his his performance was assured, and uh, I believed that he was this kind of you know slightly crazy out there scientist that had all these theories, but was actually kind of proven true and could speak mm. this native you know indigenous language. But then disappeared. I mean, I remember really. From being a kid, seeing him in this, I think the next time I remember, or I, I vaguely remember, was in that soft porn classic Secretary um, opposite Maggie Gyllenhaal, uh, right. where he's an absolute BDSM pervert, whipping people, <laughs> spanking people and all that. Um, and then he's been stuck on another planet. <laughs> yeah. he, he generally does. He gets stuck. Oh, that's where he's been. He's been on Ra's planet. <laughs> for the last 20 years because he stays with his quote-unquote wife doesn't he he does which is even stranger because i so after this i actually streamed the first episode of the uh showtime slash um sci-fi tv series stargate sg1 to yep. find out what happened to the titular uh professor and the colonel and well firstly they were They've significantly shapeshifted because uh, <laughs> Kurt Russell, of course, is is no more in in that role. James Spader, obviously, also the same. But for no apparent reason, it just starts and and Doctor Jackson and Jack O'Neill are back in the Stargate, you know, control room or whatever, you know, fighting things that are coming through the Stargate. It's never really explained as to why. But maybe oh, is that later where it on. starts? So yeah. As they've gone back through it. Like. Yeah, and they're now like a task force SG-1 assigned with taking out things that are traveling through this this now active Stargate from other other galaxies. Right. Um, and uh, and it kind of just starts and it's like kind of played for laughs as well. It's really weird. There's lots of like sly like looks at each other and all that kind of thing. <laughs> like when people are saying things, it's, it's really weird. You know what um, else is weird? It was the, um, hmm. uh, what's his name? French Stewart. The guy from uh, Third Rock from yeah. the Sun. Oh, oh, oh God. Oh, yeah. Third Rock from the Sun. I, playing, I can't quite open my eyes probably. <laughs> playing like a hard military type. I was like, what? Yeah, he, was really, he had really skinny arms, didn't he? Really yeah. like, puny little arms. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, it was, it was uh, for, uh, Ferretti, wasn't it? Ferretti, Ferretti. Ferretti, yeah, that's it, yeah. Yeah, he, somehow he made it out alive at the end, didn't he? Yeah. God knows how. And apparently he's he is actually in an episode of SG One, I think. Is but he? I think he's yeah. like the only person from the original film that's ever been in anything to do with Stargate since the film. That's interesting. Well, that is something interesting. like that. Don't hold me to that. But I was thinking, I was thinking like the cast of this. It was, it was quite an unusual cast because a lot of unknowns um, as well, kind of going going into it. I guess you know many of the people that were in this were fairly unknown. So it's a pretty major production. But I guess Kurt Russell was the kind of big name that they got on this. Uh, I really liked though Vivica Lindfors who played Catherine Langford, the the kind of elderly scientist that recruits James Spader. I thought she yeah. was she was really great and I, I kind of went back through her history and and her career. She's a Swedish born actress um 
who she's, you know, she was, uh, I think she was around 73, 74 when this film came out. Mm. Um, and she's born in Sweden. Um, she was brought to Hollywood in 1946 by Warner Brothers in the hope that she would be the new Greta Garbo or Ingrid Bergman. Ah. And her first Hollywood film was opposite uh, Ronald Reagan in Don Siegel's Night Unto Night. I just thought it was a really cool that bio. A, yeah. Really kind of that's old a, school Hollywood. Yeah. That's full Hollywood era, isn't it? Yeah. Awesome. I thought she was great in this. I really liked her in this. She's really beautiful kind of 73-year-old. Um, yeah, she's really good. As well. Although it did yeah. annoy me when she said that... Um, she was like, oh, I, fa- I found this. Uh, or my father discovered this or mm. something you know about mm. the necklace with ra on it she did oh, she yeah. nicked it from a guy like when she got she there. stole it yeah she, she was stole entitled it. little brat in 1923 or yeah, whenever she it was stole it. It. and then she still holds up that she found it or she oh, oh found god it. yeah i found the it. eye the eye of ra i guess she was pretty old she probably didn't remember but um <laughs> another interesting fact so jay davidson who played ra so mm. basically this is the guy who was uh, a guy in in ancient egypt aliens came he ran towards the pyramid. Everyone ran away. So Ra, who was the little space alien, the gray alien, decided to steal his body. And uh, and that was it. He now becomes the bad guy. Yeah. Um, he was um, in a number of, of films uh, through the years. And actually, by the time it came, I believe, to this picture, um, he had been in um, The Crying Game, kind of starring yes. The Crying Game. And was actually Oscar nominated, believe it or not. Yeah. For Best Supporting Actor coming into into this. But if you look at his filmography, and funnily enough, because I'm going to give you some trivia in a minute, and most of it is to do with how awkward of a person he apparently was, Jay Davidson. Oh, really? Well, it's interesting yeah. you say this because he he was he's more of a, uh, a fashion designer, um, and photographer so oh, okay. uh, yeah so he, he was actually less of a of really of an actor which is why he's had you know barely any credits um in his in his entire career so yeah, yeah he's, he's he's much more involved in that and he's done kind of campaigns for for gap and all kinds of other kind of fashion designers and, and fashion houses as well oh since okay. then yeah well let me reel off some of these facts to you then from my trivia corner <laughs> so you mentioned Phil's it Trivia Corner <laughs> with your host, Phil. <laughs> so you mentioned it earlier, Ra's glowing eye. So no, I said glowing eyes, not his glowing eye. You just made it sound really dirty. <laughs> oh, look at Ra's glowing yeah. eye. Yeah, I love 50 quid to touch Ra's glowing eye. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Uh, yeah, Ra's glowing eye effect was added. Ra's growing eye. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> so to explain it, there's scenes in it where he sort of gives you a shifty look and then his eyes light up. <laughs> gives you a shifty look. He does. He just looks to the side and he's like when he's angry and his eyes light up. Yeah. Um, he gets those tune eyes, yeah. Yeah, but that was Ding. added in post production. Believe it or not, no shit. Uh, I thought yeah. I thought he had the skill himself, Jay Davidson. That's, <laughs> how did he get the part? He, he just gave him a shifty look, and then his eyes started glowing. <laughs> they were like you're hired. Um, but they added that because apparently test audiences didn't think that he was alien enough. Like there was nothing. 
about him that was like alien, <laughs> apart from okay. when they show you the x-ray of the alien. Okay. Um, yeah, so they added that in post-production after it was done because they thought, oh, okay, that'll make him look a bit more alien-like if we make his eyes glow at certain points. Um, I liked his androgyny. He was very androgynous. I like that. It was very a very sexual role. I liked him. He was kind of um, there was a lot of he used a lot of sex in his role with some of the scenes with uh, yeah with Kurt Russell and James Spader. I quite like that. Yeah, and he's also like surrounded by like a lot of naked young people, mm. like half naked, and apparently that was done on purpose to make the audience feel a bit uneasy about him. Yeah, that was good. Um, here's a good one. Uh, James Brown's scream from the song I Feel Good was used as a sound effect in the scene demonstrating the alien taking control of the young boy's body. Ow! I, I, wish, I wish they left I Feel Good was in it that one as well. Yeah. Ow! I, think, well, I don't know. I guess so. I feel nice. Sugar and spice. <laughs> I'm inside a young boy from Egypt. Actually, that sounds really wrong. Uh, <laughs> oh, God. Uh, moving swiftly on, uh, wardrobe and cinematography had to work around Jay Davidson's nipple rings uh, because he refused <laughs> to, to remove them. Had to work around or walk around? <laughs> I like, like how giant nipple rings. Yeah. Sorry, sorry. I'll just walk around there. I'm not removing it. There. I'm not oh. removing it. You'll have to take it out in post production. <laughs> um, yep. So you wouldn't remove them. So that the the wardrobe had to uh, work around that. Okay. <laughs> uh, another Jay Davidson Davidson fact: He despised the costumes he wore so much that on the last day of shooting his scenes, after hearing the final cut. He stripped naked on the set without going to his trailer. And moreover, Davidson retired from acting after completion of this film. Since 1994, he has only appeared in the Borghild project in 2009, which was a 17-minute film. That is hysterical. That is hysterical. <laughs> he just hated the costume, so he just stripped naked after his death. Yeah, I think he's a bit of a... I think he's a... A bit of a, you know, a bit of a diva. It sounds like, you know, obviously works in the fashion industry and that kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, uh, that prop. sort of, yeah, yeah, I think you're right. And then the last one, so it says the early uh, pre-release screenings of the film were not mm. good. Um, the percentage of the audience who liked the movie fell into the mid-30s. Uh, and executive producer Mario Casar realised the main mm. problem was that the plot made zero sense. <laughs> <laughs> His solution was to have Ra's character's dialogue subtitled and made into information that presented a clear storyline instead. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think that was successful in that. Yeah, I think from, it worked. Well, it says we don't know what that, he was yeah. doing. We don't know why he was doing what he was doing. It didn't really... No. It wasn't even we don't know why he was doing... Like, what was he doing? He already had eternal life. What's he doing? <laughs> it's just messing about. He's bored. Still, he? still don't get it. Still don't get it. I think, like... Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, this it film, it did make zero sense. I also felt like it didn't feel very, <laughs> this is going to sound stupid, it didn't feel very realistic. Um, but, <laughs> but, but primarily because like when you're watching these real world humans, especially like these, whatever they are, Marines or whatever, led by Kurt Russell, they're all running around with their MP5 Heckler and Cox submachine guns. Um, just like 
one armed, just like running around with the, holding them. Like like Kurt Russell literally never raises his 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 um his machine gun to to his shoulder throughout this whole movie. He's literally firing from the hip throughout this whole. Cool. It does look cool, but I, I just like come on, man. Like <laughs> even his salute at the end when the little kids are all like saluting him, like <laughs> da da, they're all like saluting him, and he does this really crap salute that if you've been in the military, you know. You do not just like, have a thumb sticking out like on the top of your head. It was just like he was tired, it, wasn't he? he just oh, it was off some it, ancient. It was all a bit dad's army, is what it was. Um, but I would say one big positive for this: David Arnold's score. I thought the score for this was really, really solid. The, it the was music, actually, yeah, yeah, it was. And some really interesting note on that. Obviously, David Arnold. If if you're not familiar. He's a, a British um, composer. He went on to compose uh, all of the um, of the Pierce Brosnan James Bond movies. So uh-huh. he became the go-to kind of Bond um, uh, musician, a composer. I think his last one, if I'm not wrong, was um, oh gosh, I think it was. Uh, I don't know if it was. I don't think it was Quantum of Solace. I think it was uh, Casino Royale um, as as composer. Um, but I thought he's absolutely brilliant on this movie. He also went on to do Independence Day. Your favorite and Godzilla for Roland Emmerich. Um, but really interestingly, so he was working at a as a clerk in a record store in England when he was recommended to compose the score for this film, apparently on the DVD's commentary track, Dean Devlin, the writer, producer, and Roland Emmerich admit that they were a bit nervous after hiring him since his scoring experience at the time was limited to a few short films and only one full-length movie. However, obviously their doubts were gone as soon as they heard what he'd composed, which was obviously absolutely incredible. Um, Emmerich and Devlin went on to state that the quality of Arnold's score for the movie is, is best exemplified by the countless times that it was then reused in trailers, TV spots, and programs throughout the years. Um, and obviously landed him, you know, beyond this, this was 94, then landed him the uh, the Bond the Bond gig beyond that as well. Um, mm. So really, really interesting. Really did like the, the score for this. To be fair, like, considering I hadn't seen this since the 90s, I don't think, unless it's, you know, I might mm. have, it might have been on TV and I'd watched like the odd 10 minutes of it or something like that but not remembered it as when the music started and the opening credits, I recognized it straight away. Yeah, me too. Um, it was definitely like a memorable theme that I've heard yeah. before. Yeah. Um, so yeah, great stuff. Yeah, no, I, I, I thought that was without a doubt the best thing in the, in the film. One other little piece of um, in, intrigue, um, which comes from actually talking about guardians of the galaxy earlier, uh, James Spader, Kurt Russell and Jimon Ansu who played one of the the kind of Ra's kind of henchmen in this. Um, they all end up, ended up playing villains in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Once who played Korath in Guardians of the Galaxy. Spader played, of course, Ultron. There are no strings on me. Um, and uh, Kurt Russell played Ego in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Yeah. Um, Ego, the living planet. Uh, I think you'll find is the correct character name. Thank you. <laughs> um, so yeah, really interesting. Um, I, I to be honest, you know, I think like with Waterworld, Waterworld was a film that I was surprised that I liked watching it again. This is a film I, I was sure I was going to like when I recommended it to you. I thought this is going to be, uh, you know, pretty cool. 
um, one to kind of go back and rewatch. And yeah. you know, it, it has held up well. It, like it still looks pretty good, you know, after twenty odd years. Yeah, there's not much about it that looks terrible, really. No, no. Um, no. But it, it just—it's just a bit boring. It's just a, you know, they—they they could have done so much, so much more with this. Um, I, I mean, probably, possibly, my favorite moment of the film is when Kurt Russell kicks the ass of one of Ra's henchmen. <laughs> He's about to have his head ripped off. Actually, you actually see his head get ripped off when you see the head kind of sitting yeah. decapitated, don't you? Which was pretty harsh for a pg movie yeah. um but when, when he when he's about to have his head ripped off he says give my regards to king tut asshole <laughs> <He's> <laughs> like, just, just you're an absolute psycho do you know what i mean <laughs> and also i think you'll find it was king tutankhamun um but anyway that's pretty fun oh uh, uh, yes yeah. Like Would it. you ever watch that again? Not in a hurry, but yeah, it's Same. stuff I'd watch far less than that. Oh, well, I do quite want to watch Stargate SG One. I want to know what happened to James Spader on that planet. He's just stuck there with all those people that don't have toothpaste and toothbrushes. Like his, everyone's breath is going to stink. And he gave his last chocolate bar away. He gave his last chocolate bar. It was in fact a Hershey's Fifth Avenue, which living in the US I have never seen ever. But I really want one. It looked really crumbly when he gave it to the uh, the Egyptian guy. So crumbly. It was really crumbly. Although when he gave it to the to the the Bantha desert horse beast thing, yeah. it was really crunchy. He like snapped it. And it was like yeah. It just reminded it? It me of. It just reminded me of the Goonies with Baby Ruth. Exactly. Baby, Baby Ruth. <laughs> <laughs> So that was Stargate then. Uh, go back, watch it, check it out, listen into the podcast. Um, you know, if uh, if you like your sci-fi, if you like your 90s movies, and if you like your occasional one-liners, and if you like the way that Christopher Lloyd's eyes light up in Who Framed Roger Rabbit and it didn't scare the living <laughs> piss out of you, then go and watch Stargate. Okay. So that was this week's podcast on next week's show we're going to bring you another slice of movie and tv related podcast fun but before then please follow our facebook and instagram accounts as usual at movie mouth podcast and hit subscribe or give us a nice five-star review on your podcast player of choice we literally have no idea how many people listen to this and if you don't go and click and give us a good review give us some five stars or give us one star and tell us how bad we are don't do that um, we don't know. So we don't know whether we should con- continue doing it or not. Um, but, you know, as always, Phil, there's just there's just one little tiny thing left to say, isn't there, Phil? There is, is there? Yes. What's that? Do you know what it is? You don't know what it is? Probably. Bye, Phil. Bye, Miles. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. But obviously, we we hope that Batman can kick COVID's ass because uh, COVID sucks, and uh, we're looking forward to this movie after seeing this awesome awesome trailer. Yeah, if anyone can do it, Batman can. I'm sure. Absolutely. Pardon me, I'm just passing wind. <laughs>
oh. you might just want to put a little Sorry, thing in there me, just to edit that too. out. <laughs> 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 <laughs>